Good morning and welcome. Uh, let me say welcome to those of you who are here with us live and in person, as well as good morning to those of you who are watching uh, through live stream. May the Lord bless you this, this muggy day, and we give him thanks for the rain. We give him thanks for everything. And so let's pause a while and together, come together and ask the Lord's blessings upon our time as we look into Psalm 5. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the many challenges that we face, and yet we watch you do more than we could ever think or imagine. We deeply appreciate you, Father, because of the way in which you've led us thus far. Our confidence is more so in your strength than our own abilities, and that's why we are here. So as we come to you as brothers through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, we ask that you meet needs in this room, that you bless every home represented here, that you lavish your grace and favor upon us all. And it's all because of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. By way of introduction, uh, my name is Julian Russell. I um, used to be on staff here at PCPC until December 2016, when, in God's providence, he called me back to the place where, I, where it all began for me. I'm from the Bahamas originally and moved away in early 90s and just sensed the call to go back and, and plant a church and lead, a, lead an effort through Mission to the World. So presently, my wife, Christiana, and I, we have three children, but we are missionaries with Mission to the World to the Bahamas and presently on home ministry assignment. So we came in on May 4th. We quarantined. We got our shots, uh, Johnson and & Johnson, and, we, and we're still living to tell. Um, thankfully, through the, through the grace and generosity of this church, we live in the missions house. And by God's grace, we might be here until April of next year. And uh, so you pray for us as we raise support, as we give reports as to how the Lord has been working, and also as we do some R&R. &R. Um, Mission to the World needs to assess us to see if we still believe in Jesus. See if we still love each other. You know, the mission field is, is fuel for our sins. And I can only imagine, speaking of sins, I can only imagine the many instances to sin that you men face each day as you go into the mission field of work, the mission field of the workplace. This morning I want to talk about, I want to look into Psalm 5 together and and I, and, I, and I want to give this a title. How your prayer life can help you to overcome the changing circumstances of life. How your prayer life can help you overcome the changing circumstances of life. That's what I want us to look at in, in Psalm 5. So you have, uh, for those of you who are here, you have uh, a printout with Psalm 5. And for those of you who are home, you can turn into your Bibles to the, as they say in the Old Baptist Church, the fifth division of the psalm. 
on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your prayer life this morning? This psalm is not, on, not only teaches us on prayer, it also challenges us to enhance our prayer life. So it's a psalm that teaches on prayer, but it challenges us as well. Calvin refers to the psalm, you remember that, 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 15, that 16th century theologian, he called the psalm an anatomy of the soul. The psalms are an anatomy of the soul because they fully articulate every aspect of the cost and joy of life with our Lord. So the psalm speaks what we feel about God from time to time. And so as I read through this psalm, I, I'm, I've been asking myself some questions. Why is David so distressed, especially in light of how he ends Psalm 4? And then how does he get from verse 1 and 2 to verse 12? How does he get from this state of being distressed to this state of joy and confidence? And the third pivotal question is, that we'll address is, what has caused such a dramatic shift in David's attitude? I am, I am over 65, and I'm, I'm not the oldest in this room. But what I've learned is that life is a long, hard road filled with unexpected trials, especially for believers. Walter Brueggemann adds that life is a movement from one circumstance to another, changing and being changed, finding ourselves surprised by a new circumstance we did not expect, resistant to a new place, clinging desperately to the old circumstance. Essentially, only babies like change, and that's what Walter Brueggemann is telling us. <laughs> we go through changes and we don't like it. They are challenging. And so this psalm captures the two dramatic movements that all believers experience in this life. Um, and, and these are movements from seasons of well-being, you get married, you have a child, you get a new job, to seasons of hurt, seasons of alienation and suffering. Then into seasons of delight, amazement, gratitude, and thanksgiving. You wish everything would just, just stay the same. But you go through this, this roller coaster ride of, of, of seasons and emotions. So, in this psalm, David is begging God to hear his morning prayer while expressing, at the same time, his confidence in being in God's presence. He prays that God would lead and bless the righteous and, at the same time, destroy the wicked. <laughs> and we'll, we'll see why later. So, I want to borrow from Dale Davis. He, in his commentary on this psalm, he, he wrote a book, his commentary is entitled, The Way of the Righteous in the Muck of Life. The Way of the Righteous in the Muck of Life. And he talks about preparing your prayer, knowing your God, make your requests, and declaring your confidence in God. <clears throat> and so let's look at the first three verses of Psalm 5. Um, I, for the sake of those in, in, in Ether, I, I will not ask you to read, but I'll, I'll read it. Give air to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. 
Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Again, why has David moved from such a peaceful sleep in verse 4 and 8? And let me read this. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's how he ends chapter 4. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Then he comes with, give air to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. How does he get from peaceful sleep and safety to groaning first thing in the morning? Well, David is in a very hostile environment. You remember the story. King Saul made David public enemy number one. He was out to destroy David, to kill David. And even after, after his death, there was his faithful general, Abner, who had orchestrated the coronation of Ishbosheth. What a name. Saul's son. So David wasn't well liked by many people in Israel. David was from Bethlehem. He was not from Benjamin. Remember Saul, uh, who became Paul? He says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He wore it as a, as a badge of honor. So David was, he was in a very hostile environment. And, and so for him, Psalm 5, his situation is an end of the world reality for him. Okay? So he has to, he has to articulate everything to God. He's, he's holding nothing back because he's in a desperate situation. It is also implicit in these three verses that David is wrestling with internal desires to confront these enemies himself. After all, he's the king of Israel, and he has access to untold means at his disposal. Brothers, you have powers, you have authorities as men, as husbands, as leaders, as, as businessmen. You have, you have some carte blanche authorities, and you have some things at your disposal that you could seek vengeance. You could get back at folk. And this is, this is, David's, this is David's predicament. But despite his ability to avenge himself, he uses three phrases in these first three verses to express the urgency in his prayer to God. He needs the ever-present God to hear him. He needs the God of, of our help in ages past, the God of our hope for years to come, to be the God in our present setting. That's what we need. And so he says, give air to my words. God, listen to me with favor. Stop what you're doing and listen to me, please. You ever prayed like that before? I have on many occasions. But I remember one time I got a doctor's report, um, you know, and, and, I, and I, had to, I had to talk to the Lord. Like, hey, what's up? Please, like, stop what you're doing. Listen to me. Because everything is so urgent that you don't have time to, to be focusing on anything else. And this is David's situation. And when you, when you come to those situations, I urge you, approach the God that you've known with a sense of urgency. He says, consider my groaning or carefully observe my distraught concerns, which cannot be verbalized, groanings. 
Mm. <laughs> you know, you see something. You know, I won't talk about the in-laws here because people are watching. But, you know, you, you go around the in-laws, brothers, and sometimes you go, mm. Amen. You know, or, or, you know or, you, or you see something that publicly and you, you know, you see, you, see, you see some things publicly and you go, man, that's groanings. He says, listen to my cry for help. And, and you know, it's not, early he said, hear me, but listening is incline your ear. Give special attention to me. And David prays like this because he is no stranger to God. He, <laughs> David has a long history of trusting in God. So you're here this morning, you're a believer, you're no stranger to God. He's no stranger to you. Don't be so formal in your prayers. I mean, the world is falling around you and you're going, dear God. No, sometimes you need to say, Father, we need to talk. And that's what David is doing. Okay? He says, and so he injects thoughtfulness into his prayer. He's not rushing into the presence of God, you know, in a rude way. He's rushing in as a child would rush to see their, their parent or their father. You remember when your sons were, or, and your daughters were small, we have a daughter now who's in, her, who's in her early 30s. When she would see me walk into the room, she would run to me and say, my daddy. <laughs> you know? You remember when our kids would, would fall down or they would, they would be perplexed and they see us and whether, whether a toddler or even a teenager. Remember those embraces. Remember, remember those moments when they broke into your silence, when they invaded your space because... You represented so much hope and comfort for them. That's how David's doing it. David knows his father, and so he prepares his prayer. He says, I, I prepare, I arrange it, I set it in order. It's like building an altar. Like God, every morning I'm going to do this, whether you're busy or not. I enjoy being with you. So I'm, I'm preparing my prayer, and I'm watching closely with expectation. David is not praying like the publican in Luke 18 who says, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. He's not. He, and then, then turns and then walks out and says, oh, yeah, I, pr I went to a prayer meeting today. David, is, David, is, David has a sense of urgency. But he is so dependent on God that, that it becomes a part of his daily, his weekly life. So he wakes up in the morning and he prepares his prayer. But there's an urgency inside of him. And then, know your God, verses 4 through 6. So uh, we're asking, how does David get from, from this sense of distress to where he is now? Verse 4, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. 
Implicit in this statement, David is acknowledging his own sin. You remember what he wrote in Psalm 51? He basically said, Lord, I am, I am, I, I'm dirt. I, I'm, 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 I was born in sin and I'm shaped in iniquity. I know, I know me. Brothers, do you know how sinful you are? Do you realize how sinful you are? And so David understands that God is who he is and he is who he is. And so he, he, um, he knows God's character and he begins with the holiness of God. So you, you need to know God. You need to know that God is holy. And that means he's, he's other than us. He's separate from us. He sits high. He's above everything, but he, he, is, he is imminent. He is involved in everything. You know, that's how Moses began, you know. Moses began on a mountainside on his face, just terrified at the thought of being in God's presence. That's how Paul began. In a room, in a house on a street called Straight. And the Holy Spirit told the prophet, you'll find him praying. That's how Jesus began and continued. That's how the prophets began. They began with this sense of awe in who their father was. He's not just the father. He's not just our father. He's the God of the universe. He's the, he's the great I am. Our scripture teaches that God is holy. That is, he's absolutely and eternally distinct from his creation. He's morally perfect and he detests sin with such a passion that he punishes it forever. So David is not wishing harm on these people willy-nilly. David is acknowledging that this is who God is. God doesn't like sin. And so God, I am about to sin. I am about to seek vengeance on these people who are getting on my nerve, who are frustrating me, who are taking me through, through changes. And I don't want to live like this in your presence. And so he knows God. And, and the God who hears and answers David, he bans the arrogant from his presence. Notice these, notice these people. They're the boastful. They're the evildoers. They're those who speak lies. They're the bloodthirsty. And they're deceitful. I mean, nobody likes these kind of folk. And so David turns his problems over to God, and he makes his problems God's problems. So brothers, know yourself, and more importantly, know your God. Know that your God is able to take the stuff of life, the muck of life that you give him, and he, he can take it, and he can deal with it far better than you and I can. Amen? Thirdly, verse 7 and 9, make your request to God. So we, so we prepare our prayers because we know our God, and because we know him, we make our request to him. Okay? Verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. David petitions God purely on the basis of grace and with an attitude of reverence. He says, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love. 
That's one of my favorite words in Hebrew. It's chesed. Don't, you know, you don't say it in these COVID areas. You know, you stand by <laughs> in this COVID era. I wonder how they speak to one another over there. But it's chesed. And it means loving kindness, tender mercy. It's basically grace. This aspect, this attribute of God that, that causes him to lavish his goodness on those who, who call upon him, on those whom he loves. And so his attitude is, is, is on the basis of grace, and, it, and it's with reverence that is sobered by fear. <laughs> he says, I, I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. And, 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 and you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and while this is holy reverence, this is also fear. We know the we know the we know the story in, in the the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. And Lucy asked Mr. Beaver about Aslan, is is he safe? And he says, Hey, he's a lion. You know, the writer Hebrew says it's not good to fall into the hands of uh, uh, of an angry God because God is a consuming fire. We need to remember that from time to time. He's holy. As many as I love, I chasten. I remember one time I, I was, I'd just come to Dallas, Texas, and this was in March of 2007, and I was asking the Lord, I don't get why I'm not no longer in the place I, you, you called me from, because I thought I was doing such a good job. I planted a church, and the church grew from my wife and me and our three children to over 300 members in, in like seven, eight years, and it was growing. Our church now has about 1,000 people. I'm like, Lord, why did you call me out of this into a place where I'm just another, where I'm just one of the pastors? So at first I thought it was a demotion. I didn't realize that it was one of the best things that happened to me. I needed to come to Dallas. I was tired. I was burned out. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart months after just, because I was here alone. My family was in, in, back in Tennessee. And, I, and the Lord just spoke to my heart. He said, you were getting in my way. I was so faithful to the call of being a pastor that when, when people in crisis needed help, they pick up the phone and I just ran to them. God says, I don't want them calling you. I want them calling me. Listen, man. When you make your request to God, understand who you're talking to from time to time. Amen? He's holy. And so David, David is, you know, David understands that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You know, I, I don't call him the man upstairs for many reasons. I, I, he's, he's God. <laughs> you know, he's God. And then, notice this specific request. So you, you're making a specific request to God. And David says, lead me, O Lord, in verse 8, in your righteousness. Why? Because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. David is pleading for both justice and mercy. Lead me in your righteousness, God. I can't do this without you. Without your leading, I cannot do this. I have these things going on, going on in my head, but I would prefer that you lead in this, in this venture because 
past experience have taught me that when I do A, B, B happens. But if you lead, you've led me thus far. If you lead, I am convinced that you will lead me in the right way. Not just that, because the people I'm dealing with, verse 9, he describes them. He says, there's no truth in their mouth. And Paul quotes this in other passages in, in Romans chapter 10. I mean, in Romans chapter 3, when he describes the sinful man, he says, there's no truth in their mouth. Their, their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. And so he's describing his enemies further. And the succession of singular nouns, mouth, self, throat, tongue, these are all kind of diverse groups of people who, who have bad intentions uh, for David. They don't have good intentions for him. And so because of the danger and the level of deceit of his enemies, David needs to see the next step. He wants to please God. He doesn't want to fight every day of his life. Brothers, you, don't want, you do not want to go home with your armor on and fight your spouses and your children. You do not want to go to work and fight your, the people under you because of the battles that are going on, maybe in your homes. You need to recognize before you confront. And only the Holy Spirit can discern those who mean you well and those who are against you. So David is saying... Um, Lord, I need you to guide me. And, you know, we, we, we feel sorry for David, but I, I want to I, I give you one of life's dirty little secret this morning. It's worse for us than, it, than it's ever been for David because David, David thought his enemies were flesh and blood. You know, what, you know what Scripture tells us? That our enemies is, is principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age. There's a Greek word, akom. You know, you get the word archbishop. So your enemy is not just some, some street thug. Your enemy is some vile, intelligent, insidious, evil being who controls other evil beings. And, and Paul uses the word wiles of the devil. The, the word wiles in Greek is methodol, method from where we get the word methodology. So he has methods. He has, he has a plan to literally wipe you off the face of the earth. And that's your enemy. And Jesus says he's come to kill, he's come to steal from you, and he's come to destroy you. And so not only do you wrestle with these unseen forces, you, you also wrestle with your own flesh plus the pull of, of the world. So the scriptures say the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's, that's who you're dealing with. David dealt with the people around him who were deceitful, who were bloodthirsty, who were lying men. But we're dealing with unseen forces. So we need to be specific in our request. So I urge you to pray God's word if you don't know where to start. Amen? Just pray his word. Hudson Taylor, that missionary who really... I mean, he didn't, he didn't get a lot done. He didn't get a lot done in terms of, you know, numbers. But he, though dead, yet speaks. And he says, because uh, he, he had many serious uh, seasons of disorientation, but he served faithfully as a foreign missionary. 
He says, if God leads us into difficult circumstances, he will give much guidance. If God leads us into difficult circumstances, he will give much guidance. I will, I will, I will change one of the prepositions in this, in this statement. Since God leads us into difficult, into difficult circumstances, he will give much guidance. Brothers, you need to know this, and so I need an amen. David gives no conditions or exceptions to God's leadership. For him, following God's lead is more crucial than walking in safety from his enemies. Following God's lead is more crucial than your safety and your security and your comfort. I don't know if any of you grew up Baptist, but I, I spent some years in the Baptist church, and uh, a matriarch in my family was Baptist. And she would sing the song, The Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. He knows the way. So, do you want to please God the way David does? Do you ever ask God for his will in specific ways? Brothers, I don't... I don't mean to frighten you or alarm you, but we are never fully aware of all the dangers and pitfalls we see. But we can use God's word to pray, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. For instance, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for a long time. I walk into an elevator and there's a woman and me. My tendency is to walk out like Billy Graham. Man, there's so many pitfalls. Guys, you need to ask God to give you the ability to discern, and you need to ask God to give you his wisdom. James says, if you lack it, ask him for it. I, I felt so weird during the COVID because I, 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 I almost beat up myself early in, in, in April and May of last year. I was like, Lord, how come I didn't see this coming? I felt, I felt that I was out of the loop. Like, I felt like me and God were not, we were at odds. Like, man, I thought I was close to you. How come I didn't see this coming? And that's presumptuous of me. But the point I'm making is, let's be so specific in, in, our, in, in our request to God that we develop this relationship. And this is what David is doing. Every morning, this is David's pattern. He's telling God everything. Because he knows God will lead him. And then in the last three verses, 10 to 12, declare your confidence in God. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. This is so unexpected. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. David is, David, you remember he's, he's in this, he's, he's so distressed, and then he's describing these evil men. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of these evil men. And then he comes with this but. And, and, and for Hebrew scholars, there's this thing called vav, consecutive, they use in, in translating he, Hebrew. When you see this, 
When you see this vav, you go, oh, yeah, something, something's different is happening. It's like Ephesians 2. But God, that's really what's happening here. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Okay? Um, why the sudden shift? This sudden season of delight, amazement, and gratitude and thanksgiving. Simply, I think David is convinced, even during his prayer, that God has heard his prayer. What David is telling you and me this morning is that when we go to God after having prepared our prayer, after uh, making our request to God because we know him, we need to also know that he will not cast you away. He will not answer every prayer right then and now, but he will say yes or no. And ultimately, he loves you, and, he, and everything will work for your good and his glory. And so Paul could say, being confident of this very thing, okay, the very God who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And so you go to God with this overall attitude. And theologians call this sudden dramatic shift, they call this a salvation oracle. David, as a prophet, is gaining insights into what will happen in the future and what is happening now. His son, Solomon, wrote in Proverbs 11 and verse 10, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. When it goes well with the, with the righteous, the city, the city rejoices. But when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. When you know that God has dealt with that thing that, is, that has been in your way, there's this, oh, you might do a little victory dance in your office or, or, or you know, and you, you've been there, brothers. You, you got these mountains in the front of you and, and you prayed and all of a sudden they're no longer there. For David and his Old Testament prayers, this salvation oracle was the hope that God would deliver his covenant people through a blood sacrifice. That's why David says, I, I will go to your temple. The temple was the place of sacrifice. That's why he wrote the Psalms and God had him and, and the other men to write the Psalms. And as the Jews from all over the world would descend up to the hill to go to the temple, they would, they would these Psalms of ascent. Because once they reach the temple where all the sacrifices are made, their confidence is that God will hear their, sac God will hear their prayers and he will, be, uh, he will accept their sacrifices and all would be well. The good news for us this morning is that we could look back to Eden and, and uh, with the hope of Genesis 3 and 15 and then we could fast forward to John 3 and 16 which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the second Adam. We, and, and, and we could look at the cross and, and we could see that God in love gave to us what was most dear to him so that we could have confidence in his ability to not only deliver us today and tomorrow, but deliver us from all enemies. And so Christ became our sacrifice. In his incarnation, his life and death and resurrection. 
And this unexpected move of God of giving his son has caused a major shift not only in David, but a major shift in your life and all who look to Jesus for help. We need to remember what Christ has done for us. And this will move us from a season of hurt and suffering into a season of confidence in God. Confidence that he is faithful enough and, and able and powerful enough to protect us. And so Paul could write to us this morning in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 that God who knew no, he who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He became our substitute. I like how John writes in 1 John 3 and 8, Jesus Christ was manifest to destroy the works of, of the devil. And so in order for us to have confidence, we need to know that God has removed our enemies, that God has removed the threat that has frustrated us. That's why I love Revelation 19, and I think that's why um, uh, Handel, George Frederick Handel, loves it also. The Hallelujah Chorus is such a beautiful song, but boy, when you look at it, you see it's, it's a bloody scene. It's, a, it's an army of people dressed in white, led by this one on a horse with a sword, and only his clothes are dipped in blood. Only his garments are dipped in blood. Why? Because he has fought for you and me. He has destroyed. He has destroyed Babylon. He has destroyed the beast. He has destroyed the principalities and powers so that we might live in confidence. And in Revelation, we see the scene. He, he destroys them all, and then there's this marriage supper because the bride no longer feels threatened. Brothers, you need to know today that even in, in, by faith, even as we deal with what we call real life, we need to know that real life occurred over 2,000 years ago when Christ came and died and destroyed evil for your sake. And you walk away with a confidence like David Despite what you have to deal with every hour of the day, your confidence is in the right place because the God who loves you has done exceedingly abundantly far above you could ever imagine or think, and he wants to protect you. So, we are made righteous by his grace. And the enemy of your soul wants to wrap you up but he can't because a faithful God has already wrapped you in his grace. And so as I close, I, I, I want to note that David is helping us to realize several crucial realities. One, you and I can be honest with God even in the midst of great disorientation. We can be honest with God. Go, and, go, to, your, go to your favorite place and just tell God the truth. Secondly, these honest prayers are acts of bold faith. They come from a soul that is struggling with the world, with the flesh, and with the devil. Just tell God the truth. Don't think it. Talk it out. You know, the, the, the psychiatrists and psychologists call it talk therapy. They didn't invent it. David, David did talk therapy. And then three. There's always a way out for the people of God. There's always a way of escape. Therefore, in humble reliance, verbalize your experiences to God. Okay? 
journal sometimes. I remember when I broke my knee in 09, I, I used to journal. And, and, you know, you look back and you go, boy, thank you, Lord. And anytime I, he takes me into those seasons where, where it might get too tough, I go back to those journals and, and, and you read them again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we've been this way before. It's like driving home from work. You know where to go. I mean, your car knows where to go even. You just go to work or you go home or, you, you know, you just know where to go. And so the more time you spend with God in honest prayers, making your request in, gaining confidence in him, Every day will be sweeter than the day before. Then number four, our enemies are not who we think they are. So don't, don't, don't react to people all the time. I don't know. I, you know, I've been married. Come Sunday, it would be 40 years to the same woman. <clears throat> there were times in my marriage when I thought she was my enemy. Well, a few times. Then you go, no, nobody, in, nobody in, in your flesh is your enemy. That guy who doesn't look like you, he's not your enemy. That guy who doesn't speak, he's not your enemy. You don't have enemies. I mean, we have people who want to destroy this nation and, and its values. They're enemies in that sense. But your real enemy, Paul says, is, is spiritual. As a man. And so he will use anything to manipulate to get you up, sidetracked. Recognize that. Number five, although our enemies are far more insidious and deadly than those who oppose David, we can expect God to always come to our rescue. The God of the Bible moves mightily when his people cry out to him. And whenever God moves, it will result in a major shift in our disposition. Remember the movie, The Band of Brothers? How many of you remember that? And it closed, it closed, you know, and, and the comment was made, you know, that when, when we started out, I, I, I might not be quoting it properly, but when we started out, these men obeyed me because it was their duty. But now that they've been together and they've been with me, they, they obey because they realize that we are, in essence, we are banded brothers. We, do, we don't just obey because we've been told to obey. We obey because we want to obey. And so I address you, band of brothers. In the words of David, prepare your prayers. Don't just, you know, tomorrow morning or this afternoon, whenever you take time out to pray, prepare it. Lay it out. It's like building an altar. You and God, set it up. Know your God. Remind yourself as to who God is. And then declare your, your confidence in God. Don't go to him and, and say, okay, God, I, I don't think you could do this. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it someplace else. And then make your request to God. David closes, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way, not my way, make your way straight before me. Let us look to the Lord. Father, I thank you for these men who have prepared, who've made preparations to be here even before seven, that they may pray, that they might hear 
Lord, use this psalm and use this teaching this morning to encourage my brothers to live in a manner that would express their confidence in you, knowing that weeping may endure for a night, but joy does come in the morning, knowing that some things look like defeat, but it's, it's not over until you say it's over. Give them great peace this day. Move mountains for some of us. Raise up valleys and tear down mountains. Make crooked places straight for your people. More than anything else, Father, fill us with your confidence, your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.